Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and today I'm so excited to be joined by the fantastic Archie Medequi, who is currently starring in the movie Saltburn. And I wanted to start by talking about the audition process for you, because I thought it was so interesting that you didn't have any elements of the script through the first few rounds of auditioning. So it was kind of monologues that Emerald had written and other art pieces that you were reading in the audition room. And so how did that really shift the process for you once you finally had some scenes in front of you and once you knew that you were reading specifically for the character of Farley? Yeah, I mean, it was so long. It was such a mystery and it was crowded and kind of shrouded in so much secrecy that I think there was even, there was a second that I (laughs) started reading the script I was like, I, am I reading for Oliver? Am I reading for Felix? Am I reading for, like, I had no idea. Am I reading for Sir James? <laughs> I had no, I, because even when I was sent the script initially, I still wasn't told what character I was going up for. I was just sent the script and it was just see how you connect with this. Um, it made so much sense. And I was so over the moon when I found out it was Farley because it felt like so much fun. It just, there was already when I was reading the script, there were so many lines I wanted to get my teeth into. Um, I thought there was just so many places I could push him. It really felt like, um, like a journey away from myself. Um, I enjoyed the fact that he was the only American. Um, and, and I was kind of interested to play with that. Um, it was so much fun. I just, I remember specifically though, there was a lot of stuff that we found with the characters that we found in those blank auditions, with those blank monologues that we kind of carried over into Farley. There was this one character that Emerald had written and it was this monologue where this guy was talking on the phone and he was talking about a hookup and he was talking about how it went and no, oh, and I slept with that guy and I slept with that guy and I know he wasn't gonna, and at the end he was like, okay, mom, I've got to go, love you, bye. And it was like, he was on the phone to his mom. It was so, it was so interesting. And I remember in the audition, I was like, I, I, I created this character that I was, I was like, I had a real clear image of what I wanted him to be like, but it was my first audition back post COVID. I was so nervous. My first in the room audition. And I kept on this thing that I was trying of trying to, trying to have some of some kind of control of, of the audition, because when you get into auditions, so interestingly often you feel really at the beck and you know you feel at the whim of of the directors but there is there's there's so little time to prepare a full character with the small information you have so i think what i learn i have learned over time is that it's so much better to be open and collaborative from the off and so i was really trying to find this character and i was like no I know you can't tell me what he's like, but I think this character is going to be like this. I think he's going to be like this. And so that's what I'm going to go for. I'm trying to go for this. And I was on the phone trying to do this stuff and I'd muck it up and I'd go again. And there was this one take, I guess I'd mucked it up so many times that I just pushed through and I continued and I I did something, I guess, very farly in my shrugging it off. And when I finally got into the room, Emerald was like, that that thing that you found when, when you kind of, tripped over your words that's Farley I need you to hold on to that I need you to hold on to that so it was fun the collaboration of of playing with those monologues and then incorporating all that stuff into the text later it was it was so much fun 
and with kind of like taking the details that you have and building things out, I was interested in if you and Emerald talked about Farley's relationship with his mom at all, because there's there's different things peppered in the script. You know, we see him being very defensive of, of his mom when Felix is saying that his dad doesn't necessarily want to financially support her anymore. Um, you know, but at the same time, he's spending his downtime away from school with their family instead of going back to the States and being with her. So you kind yeah. of see this juxtaposition of, of probably quite a complicated relationship with a lot of sides to it so what did you and emerald discuss or what did you kind of interpret yeah we really that the, the character of his mom was really clear for me i really i felt like i had seen friends of mine that had a similar relationship i really imagined her to be probably a model back in the day someone that was quite glamorous someone that still enjoyed going to these events that she was still invited to but was quite past the you know financial side of being a part of those rooms and was one of those parents that almost felt like a friend more than a than a than a parent often which I remember going to people's houses and seeing kind of parent child relationships like that and being like oh that's so cool but actually I think in reality it's quite difficult because sometimes you just want somebody that you know is taking care of you and if your if your parent if your mum or your dad is just actually more interested in entertaining and having friends around and going to that dinner party and actually just leaving you with the nanny or bringing you along and kind of slapping you in the middle of these these dinners that you're actually way too young to be around and conversation that's a lot a lot more mature than you should really be around it's actually I think it's quite difficult but I think it's a reality that is really common in those circles of being around really mature conversation and being around these really grown-up parties I felt like that was really really Farley's upbringing and there was a lot of love there because I think of the relationship with Farley's mum and dad I think that was quite difficult and I think he was very defensive with his mum I think he his mum was really good to him and really kind to him and really babied him he's an only child and I think those only that you know kind of thing of only children syndrome especially mum and sons as well like there's a real kind of late there's a really strong bond there um but it's complicated for sure because I think part of the thing that Farley constantly tries to battle with is there's an element of there's also an element of neglect when you grow up in those worlds of we're going out and we're leaving you here and and what your priorities are. It's not, it's never just, you know, those parents aren't parents. I'm generalizing, of course. But the but Farley's parents weren't parents that were, you know, you're our son and all of our all of our love and affection is onto you. They had a life outside of Farley and he was kind of left on his own a lot and left to fill in the gaps. So um that was really colored in and really clear for me. Um and Emerald, me and Emerald spoke about that a lot, yeah. And you also did a lot of research early on just into the world of boarding schools and kind of the whole world of Oxbridge and even I think took a trip over to Cambridge and kind of like we're just going into some of those buildings and just seeing what that felt like. How did yeah. that research help to inform Farley as well? I love that you know that. Um, yeah, I, I did because that world is completely foreign to me so I was doing another project that shot kind of close to Cambridge and I had a day off and I just thought I'm gonna go and see what it's like and it's something that was never on my radar Oxford Cambridge was something that I never it was never an option for me Archie and so I just had never thought about what it was like to be a student there and I weirdly I keep saying for want of a better word but I guess it is the word I almost 
I almost felt a bit jealous when I got there. It was, not only was it so stunning and so beautiful, but the access to literature, to to music, to theatre, to history, the books, like, I mean, it's, that first trip was to Cambridge, but like the Bodleian in Oxford, it has a copy of every book printed post, I can't remember what year, but, you know, it's an underground vaults of, like, every book we have printed in the UK. It's, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. And... I needed to know what that felt like to walk around those halls and not only be aware that you have access to that stuff, but to also feel deserving of, of that, to, to normalize it. And because I walked around Archie in awe and I was just, I could not believe that it existed, but for Farley and for, for Felix and, uh, and Venetia, um, you know, those kind of buildings, that it's it's just part of the course. That's just that's just the route. Like a lot of these young kids, they go from those prep schools to boarding school to Oxbridge, and that is just there's that is just the route. And anything kind of outside of those lines is odd. Um, so I, lo- I I loved immersing myself, and I snuck into a bunch of the colleges. Um, at my I texted a friend of mine that went to went to Cambridge and said, "How can I do this?" He said, "Just walk walk." I probably shouldn't like. <laughs> You know, I snuck in, but she's like, you just walk in, head down on your phone. They won't question if you're a student or not. And so I just kept on walking into these colleges, just head down, like, please let me get in, please let me get in. And then just, I mean, the anxiety was so fun, but I would just walk around. I went to this thing, they had this thing called Evensong, where you're at these huge chapels and, you know, you listen to these choirs, but often they're things that all these students go to and then they go and get drunk afterwards. And, you know, I was there like, this is unbelievable. I've never been to anything like this, but it had to feel it had to feel familiar to me. And so I wanted to go as much as I could. So, you know, when we were shooting, Emerald arranged trips for Jacob and I to go to Oxford and spend time there and hang out and have tours. And, you know, we had a little little tutorial with one of the real teachers there. Just felt, see what that really felt like and, and things like that. It just, a lot of that stuff, it needs to feel, I think it's important for it to feel lived in and kind of in your body and for you to have a sense of it for you to understand, for you to understand the feeling of this comfortable arrogance that a lot of the characters have around it. And I think that's a real thing for Farley. You feel so deserving and of so much of it. And so, or the exterior, on the exterior, he's, he, he presents us that way anyway. And so I think it's, it was important for me to, to get a sense of it. And I loved it, loved it. One of the things that's so great about your performance and the way what you've captured in him throughout the film is he really understands how to be incredibly adaptable. Like he's very kind of like alert and observational, but he understands when to step into the conversation, when to join in on a joke, when to share a piece of gossip and when to really just kind of like blend into the background. So like there's a lot of scenes where we see you very much at the edge of frame. And then there's moments where you're very much front and center right in it. So as you were working with the script and kind of going through scene by scene, what was your determination of how is he going to respond how is he going to engage based on the dynamic of all the other characters at hand yeah I, th- I think it's a skill that he's learned for years and I think I think you know him and there's that line that Oliver says when he says unlike you I know how to work I think that really applies to Farley too I think he has spent so much time listening and dissecting and kind of unlike poor dear Pamela, for example, knowing when to shut up and knowing when to chip in. And, but it was really important to me that he was listening 
all the time. He was always listening, often judging. Like there's so much going on on his face all the time. And he's like, God, I can't believe you said that. That's so stupid. Why would you have said that? If I was you, would not have spoken up then. Like, and because he, because it's just, it's so clear to him because at this point he's so well versed in it. Because I think there, I'm sure there were times that he kind of teetered too close to the line and when he was younger and he's kind of learned that less said best is mended and so I think that conversation you see where he's asking for money is really a rarity I don't think there's ever that that's really the first time he's done something like this and and he plays he really plays it down like he kind of he does it with a smile the entire time and it's only when Felix steps out the door that you kind of see the shame of it kind of mask his face for a second. Um, it, it, you know, every moment was different. Every moment was different. You could, and, and when he speaks up, when he stays quiet, it always about who else is in the room, who else is listening. Um, often lots of those things are said just to Oliver because he feels, you know, he doesn't at that point, there's, there, there's, a certain threat with Oliver, which is you're showing your cards way too, way too openly. And, you know, we're, we're playing a similar game. So there's only room for two of us, the only room for one of us, not both of us. And you need to go, but he doesn't feel an immediate threat. I don't think he thinks he's as smart as Oliver actually is. And I don't think he knows that Oliver's manipulating them all in the way that he is. And so he doesn't mind telling Oliver what he thinks about him um, because he, he I, I guess he just doesn't think he's he's a genius in the way that he is. Um, every, you know, a lot of it's down to really and truly the genius of Emerald kind of writing those, those observational moments and those when he jumps in and jumps out. And but there was also things that we found in improv. Um, there was, you know, often Emerald would allow us to improvise our way into a scene. Um, so that brilliant scene at the beginning when the living room scene, when we first meet the family, that entire moment before Oliver comes in is improvised. And we probably did you know, 10 or 12 different versions of them where we're talking about Oliver in different ways and and saying different things and you know i it's if you listen to the conversation farley is kind of just like his his interjections are just like kind of agreement and backing up but he's he's just letting the i i, I feel like the conversation before that was he planted a few seeds knows how elspeth and and poor dear Pamela kind of latch on and then just let the ripples kind of fan out and then just like watches kind of that. It's the second time I've quoted Mean Girls and I need, I've been talking about this film and I need to stop doing it. I don't even watch this film that much, but it is a brilliant film. It's a little bit of that uh, Regina George scene where she kind of sticks the posters everywhere and she's standing at the top of the stairs and just watching the chaos, like kind of like bleed out. There's a lot of that with Farley of like, he like kind of drops a little bit of ink into the water and then just watches watches as it spreads. Um, yeah. It's such a great analogy because even the moment where, you know, he's he's seen Oliver and Venetia together and he's talking to Felix about it and he's like, well, I didn't know you'd react so badly. And then he's like, yes, I did. And it's totally. Like he knew what he was doing. He yeah. knows what he's doing. Like every, everything is calculated. Everything he's, he, he, he's plotting. It's all self-serving. Like everything is so. And that's the thing when people tell me, 
um, you know, oh, you're such a good villain, or he's so mean. Like I don't, everything is, is I don't think he's mean for the sake of being mean. It's all in his best best interests. Like this is an example I use all the time, but I think it's one of the clearest is the opening line you see Farley, he says, oh, you know, nice jacket. And he's kind of taking the piss out of him. But that's not because he's being a bully. That's to make the new friends that he's with laugh because he thinks that will get a laugh out of them. Then the next time he sees Oliver, he doesn't even remember who Oliver is. He says, oh, hey, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. And he's kind of being, he's kind of being a bit flirty and a bit tactile. And he starts flirting with the teacher. And it's only really when Oliver really challenges him and stops kind of doesn't joust in the way that me and Emerald really spoke about this and she told me that you know you have these debate classes all throughout school where you know you're able to pick apart somebody's essay and you're able to you're able to challenge someone and that's just what you do in these things and he isn't playing ball with that and so when he challenges me and in a very out of out of spirit of the game kind of way and says I can't wait to see your essay knowing that Farley's clearly not got one that feels like a step too far and that feels like a challenge. And that's the only time where he really looks at him and thinks, who the fuck is this? Like, what are you doing? Like, this is not, that's not what we do. Like, I'm just, and that's the only, that's the real moment where he becomes not a threat, but that's kind of strike one in Farley's book. And that's, that's the only time he really doesn't like him. Then when he gets into the house, the threat completely, you know, it escalates and becomes something different. But you know, the writing is just so, it's so brilliant. I mean, what, what you said about audience interpretation of him is so interesting because the first time I watched it, I found him more antagonistic. And the second time I watched it, I was like, he's the only person who actually has enough self-awareness to see what's going on directly under everybody's noses. And not that he has any understanding of the scope of what Oliver's doing and what he's planning. Um, but, you know, for Farley, it kind of also feels like he's probably played games with other people that have come in and out of this house before, but he's been the one that's been able to um you know stay there and remain and so for you kind of like what was the turning point of oh this isn't someone that I can just like play my usual tricks with and they'll be gone by the end of summer there's something different at hand here it's interesting um there's 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 a there's a couple of things um I think that Fadi doesn't from the off doesn't get the interest there's nothing necessarily exciting about him he doesn't come from their world he doesn't understand the he doesn't understand the pull like why this kid i think a lot of the other guys that felix has brought back have been a version of but have existed in their world they've been you know i think he he has these friends all the time but they kind of have always made sense this one feels like an outsider and farley knows as a fellow outsider um that the 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 I guess the he he just senses immediately the character that he's playing. Just there's a there's a there's a there's an immediate distrust. I think he just very quickly from that from that very first tutorial senses. Okay, you're not as sweet as you as you're making out to be. Like I I've seen that firsthand because you're very quick to try and jab me back. So I don't get this little act that you're playing of a very sweet, nice guy because you're not a sweet, nice guy. And he just becomes suspicious of him. And the obsession, I think, with Felix becomes quite clear and quite gross. And then he just, in the way that we spoke about earlier, 
begins observing and just doesn't like what he sees. And as soon as he sees him in the house, I mean, it just gets a little bit too close for comfort because, as I said, Farley's a fellow outsider. He's on the outside looking in too. And these acts of, these weird saviour acts, I think that often, you know, that people in positions of power sometimes like to do, which are always selfish. It's always to make you feel better. Farley's been on the receiving end of that for a long time. And it's kind of, he's the one that gets the attention and gets the money, things like that. And, and he is just worried that he has, I guess, a, he has this strange competition and he's worried that he's going to be ousted. And he's worried that someone that is going to play the game a little better than him is going to work him out and push him to the sides and blow up his spot. And it feels just the threat just feels way too close for comfort for him. They're just something doesn't smell right from the off. Um, and also, I guess he understands that Felix only really has, you know, him and Felix, despite Farley's personal feelings sometimes towards Felix and and the and his and his kind of morality and the things that he does, they're really good friends. But he also knows that Felix doesn't really have the attention span to keep that up with multiple people, which is why Farley Noah has learned when to ask for attention, when to stay back, when to blend in and when to when to linger. Because often I find that there's a lot of people that I know, like Felix, that that when you give them too much attention, they pull away. When you when you when you pull away, all of a sudden they need it again. And you kind of learn the habits of those people. There are so many friends, there are so many people like that that I, you know, went to school with or drama school with or things like that, that that have versions of themselves, versions of that within themselves. Um, and, and yeah, it's, uh, it's a complicated relationship for sure. I digress. I don't know where I was going to finish that point, but yeah. I also wanted to ask you about just filming a couple of scenes with, with Barry in terms of your two characters where things become very intense and kind of on the nose. And it, it starts when everybody's singing karaoke at the house at the party that one evening. And even just the way Emerald framed that, it's like your faces are so close to each other in that instance. And, you know, it's a moment of they really could have been support systems to each other. They really could trust one another and open up, but neither of them are choosing that track. And then after that moment, you have the scene later at night where um, Felix, sorry, not Felix, Oliver comes to Farley's bedroom and there's the whole exchange of like, are you going to behave yourself from now on? Are you going to behave yourself from now on? And there's such fascinating power exchanges in both of those moments. Mm -hmm. um, and so how did kind of like the intensity of both of those scenes create a lot of textures for you? So the, the I guess the dynamics of those really came out of rehearsal because um, Emerald does this brilliant thing where she does the read through, listens to the way that people are performing. Then you workshop the scenes for a couple of days and she creates, she does rewrites and creates new scenes out of the dynamics that she then observes. And that first scene, that, that scene on the couch was one of the first scenes we rehearsed. And it was a real kind of, it was a real pinch me moment to be doing a scene like that with Barry because he's such a brilliant, intense actor. And so it was really, it was so fun to to kind of lean into that intensity. But that was something that we found kind of because the couch that we rehearsed on was so small and and we kept getting closer. We kept getting closer to each other 
And then it was like a stay there, stay there, playing the scene like that. And we were like almost nose to nose, just kind of speaking, like doing this scene. And something that maybe wasn't in the original text, this weird, hold on, are they going to fuck? Like this weird thing like arose from us reading it like that, where we all kind of pulled out the scene and we were like, huh, that was interesting. That was cool. And that that then kind of led the way, I think, for Emil to write the follow-up scene, um, which was the bedroom scene, which we may be got a few days before we well, before we shot it. Um the performing of that of that um of that scene during the karaoke was one of the most one of the most fun scenes to do for me. It was it was so fun because you know nothing it's again very classic Farley of nothing that he's saying is what he is thinking. He's holding his cast to his chest. So what he wants to say is you presumptuous little fuck, how dare you? Who do you think you are? I don't know if I'm allowed to throw on this. I'm so sorry. Um, but like, but you know, I don't know who you think you are speaking to me like that, thinking that you know me. Speak to me like that again and watch what happens. Instead, he's like, okay, I'm just going to have to take matters into my own hands and take you down a peg so you realise that I'm not I'm not the one. And and there's this constant power shift with Art, with Farley and Oliver, where you never know who's trumping the other. That moment, Farley wins. The next moment, you know, the next moment, Oliver wins. But you're also, you're not quite sure, does Farley, does Farley want to do this? Is he just playing along? Is he, is he, is he, is he actually into Oliver? Is this actually just, is the thrill the thing that's exciting to him or is there really an attraction there? Like, you know, you don't really know where it sits because this power dynamic is constantly toing and froing. And that that is the same for later on when Farley returns at the Midsummer Night's Dream Party, where you, you, you know, you're, you are kind of led to believe oh, Farley's really got him here. Like Farley's really, Farley's really seen through him and, there are a lot of there are a lot of people that then say to me, I either thought that he was going to kill you or you were going to come back and kill him. And and it's so interesting because you just don't know where that story. There are so many places, and I love that we don't know because you know the story then continues and our imaginations are left to fill in the pieces. Who knows where what happens with Farley and Oliver in the future? You know, that there that it could have gone in so many different ways because that power dynamic just keeps and keeps and keeps building. Um, but I, you know, I am um, I find it hard to believe that Farley would not have come back later on, maybe even years down the line. But I you know, he holds a grudge uh and he and he he plays a good game. So I think he would have waited it out for a second. <laughs> We're gonna have a spin-off where it's like the following decades with the two of them just yeah, constantly yeah, yeah. <laughs> 20 years, 20 years go by and salt burns follows. And and I did want to talk um a, kind of jumping into some of the spoiler territory about the end of the film. Um and essentially the the lunch scene after they found Felix's body outside. Mm. Um because it's I mean, it's such a hilarious example of of British repression <laughs> and yeah. inability to acknowledge everything. So you have the whole family acting as if nothing's going on. And Farley's really the only one who's like, why are we sitting here trying to eat this food? It's not even hot anymore. Like, what are we doing with this pretense? And just kind of like having this breakdown because 
you know, he had real love and affection for Felix. There was a transactional element to their relationship as family, but also there was real love and affection. Um, And so it's this literal breakdown that we're watching. And so how did you go into a scene like that? Because it's also a very heightened scene and very emotionally raw scene for him as well. It was was a really hard day for everyone. It was, it really took the whole day um, from morning to night. it were and it felt i think a, it felt a lot longer than it plays you know i think that's from the edit i think it it becomes a lot snappier but the the grief really was sitting in the room there was it's a really difficult thing to you know it's often one of the more anxiety inducing things for actors to to you know try to kind of play with grief and that kind of level of emotion and it really for the first time, wasn't that difficult to access. There are moments that kind of that build of, oh, I can't stop myself crying here. It's just, it's just coming, like was coming for everybody. Like it was really difficult, but it was it's a testament to Emerald. She really created a space where we all felt so safe and so close. That scene was a scene that we did you know, near the end of the shoot. And by that point, we'd all we'd all had such a strong relationship we all knew each other so well that we'd spoken about that scene so much and we really were hold trying to hold space for everybody and what they need give people what they needed and you know everybody was still as present in the scene when the camera was off them which is not the case with every film but you know we all it's a hard thing to do to hold on to that emotion and and hold on to those feelings throughout the whole day but everybody just gave everybody what they needed. And then in the playing of it, it, you know, it then feels so absurd in the, in the, in the watching of it in the context of the film, it is that, it's that British repression. And it was so, so interesting to then watch it because in the context of the film and in the context then of, of the film, whole, well, oh, you go, my God, this family's so crazy, but God, it was so painful in the moment. And someone asked me, you know, were you making this film going, you know, God, these things that were being asked to do are so crazy. This is so stupid. But I, again, giving so much praise to Emerald, but she, she, she hates it. She is the quintessential British. Can't take a compliment, can't hear any praise. But it's the genius of her writing where all of it made total sense in the context of the family. Nothing felt absurd in the doing. Can't speak for Barry, wasn't there doing those bath licking scenes. But I, uh, but like in, in all of the family scenes, it all just felt so, it all felt normal and natural. And it felt like nothing felt like a leap. Um, but thank God we all had each other to like, you know, to lift each other up during those scenes because, you know, they're, they're hard scenes to do. I love it. Well, you, you've done such a fantastic job in capturing all the complexities of this character in the film and, and kind of like each time I go back to any of the scenes, there's just so much more to mine for and everything that you've created. So congratulations and thank you so much. Thank you so much. Appreciate it.